tremendous. As far as I'm concerned, Brother Sasser could have kept going. And um, I don't have to go to work tomorrow. I just got staff meetings and other things going on in the ministry. But I could have stayed right until the schedule kicked in. Uh, tremendous tonight. Set everything in perspective. And uh, got Bible for it too. Amen. And that's what I like about it. I like good, solid Bible preaching. I love our church and I'm grateful for the messages we've heard. And it uh, wouldn't bother me if everybody else was up tonight. I have thoroughly enjoyed this week. I have been fed in my soul and uh, grateful to be at our home church again. <clears throat> our schedule has kept us on the road in the last several months, but I'm excited about what the Lord's doing. If you have your Bible tonight, <clears throat> turn with me to the book of Acts chapter number 13, and I'll try not to be too long tonight. I do appreciate the kindness and grace that's been extended to us by Pastor but I tonight want to just give you a couple of brief thoughts, and I'll promise by the grace of God not to be too long. I was preaching, and I believe I shared it uh, maybe the last time or the time before that I preached here. I was in a church, it's been within a year ago, and they sang till almost 10 to 1. And the pastor called me to the platform. He said, Brother Ellis, come on up. So I said, I said, preacher, you don't want me preaching at 1 o'clock. He said, no. He said, if they can sing for two hours, you can preach for as long as you want. I said, but preacher, your people's ready to go to the house. And I threw them under the bus. I didn't want to tell them I was ready to go to the house at that point either. But um, so when I stood up, it was so tense. And it's not here tonight, so I'm not implying that. But it was so tense, I was trying to cut through the ice just a little bit. And so I said, I'm normally a two-hour preacher. But by the grace of God, I'm going to do my best to cut it down to about an hour and a half this morning. And one lady, Miss Zella, sitting toward the back of the auditorium. She was backslid on that particular service, sitting in the back of the church. And a lady in front of her leaned over to her husband and said, Dear God in heaven, I hope he's not telling the truth. And I said, That's the first time I've had anyone praying that I was lying in the pulpit. But I have thoroughly enjoyed this week. What a blessing it's been. If you have your Bibles in Acts 13, let's stand in reverence to the reading of the Scriptures. I love our preacher, love Miss Olita and all the family, and I love our church, and I thank God for it. Thank God for all the friends we have here tonight, and the guests are here, and we're grateful for what the Lord's doing. Acts chapter number 13, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, it was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manion, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was of the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Let's pray. Our fathers, we bow before you tonight. We sure are grateful for your goodness, for your grace, and your kindness that's been bestowed upon us. 
Thank you tonight for teaching us from the Bible and the Word of God the current day events that are taking place in the Middle East and in the land of Israel. Lord, tonight we do pray that you'll be with your people. God, may you strengthen them, may you help them. And Father, it's an exciting time to live in the day and age in which we live, to see Bible prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes. And thank you for the man of God, Brother Sasser, who stood and so thoroughly and so rightfully and truthfully tonight divided the Word of God and the Scriptures for us. Now I pray that you may help us tonight, bless in this conference. And Lord, I pray that you'll raise up missionaries, that you'll send them forth across this nation and to the nations of the world. And we love you and we thank you, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, India is the largest mission field on the planet Earth. Just around the beginning of this year, they surpassed China, and now there are already several million by population over China, making India the largest populated mission field on the planet Earth. Now China has become the second largest mission field on the planet Earth, and America still remains the third largest mission field on the planet. And America is one of the largest mission fields as far as needs, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit of God has given us the biblical precedent that has been set for world missions and evangelization in Acts chapter number 13. As we consider the Great Commission that has been given to the church and each individual Christian to go into all the world and preach the gospel and fulfill the call of God upon our lives and propagate in the gospel, I'm grateful that God just didn't tell us to do it, but he gave us the way to do it. Just like Noah building the ark. He didn't just say Noah build an ark and then leave him to himself. He gave him all the specific details. He gave him the length, the height, the breadth, the depth. He told him to pitch it within without what type of materials to use. He gave him every minute detail. God is a God of order. And God always has a plan. God always has a purpose. And it's always revealed in the scripture as we've so eloquently heard already tonight in the message. Tonight, I have been studying through the book of Acts, chapter number 13, and I've been studying a series of messages, and I feel like the Lord had impressed upon my heart to share one particular thought in this particular series of messages. I've been studying on missions out of the book of Acts, and I said, in fact, I believe it was at the Macedonia conference the other day, that the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts could literally, rightfully, truthfully be expressed and titled instead of the Acts of the Apostles as the Acts of the Holy Ghost. For the Holy Ghost is found more in the book of Acts than any other book of the Bible. And so we find in the scriptures, in the book of Acts and the New Testament, the ministry of the Holy Ghost in missions, the ministry of the Bible in missions, the ministry of the church in missions, the ministry of the missionary in missions, And then we have the martyrs of missions that are mentioned. And tonight, by the grace of God, for just a couple of moments, I want to give you a brief thought tonight from our text. And I'll draw our attention tonight to two passages of Scripture, one being verse number 5. And when they were come to Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And then in verse number 7, we find that Barnabas and Saul was called for, and they were pleaded with to preach the word of God. 
And so tonight, for just a moment, I want to preach on this subject matter and this thought, the ministry of the Bible in world missions and evangelization. We find that God had called the missionaries out of the local church. There were certain requirements that God had set as a standard in the Bible for a missionary. And tonight, I'm not going to say what I'm about to say because I have been a missionary for 37 years. I say what I'm going to say because it is Bible and it is true. And that is that God does not call the second best to world missions and evangelization. The Apostle Paul was not a second-rate preacher, nor was he a second-class or a failure in some other ministry, and then had nothing left but to go into missions. It was the Holy Ghost of God that called him. It was the Holy Ghost of God that established him. And we find that it started out with Barnabas and Saul, but before you close chapter 13 and get into chapter number 14, you find that God reverses the role and it becomes Saul and Barnabas. And Saul or Paul becomes the primary uh, fixture or the prominent one in world missions and evangelization. I want to say tonight that the Bible is the most indispensable tool in the missionary's toolbox. Without the Bible, there would be no missions. Without the Bible, there'd be no power, no authority on the mission field. Without the Bible, God's eternal word, there'd be no eternal results from the missionary labors, whether it's in Israel or Africa or China or throughout Europe, Asia, Africa, South or Central America or North America. There would be no lasting results without the authority of the Bible. We find in the scripture, for example, in the book of Acts, the word of God is found 13 times. In Acts 4.31, the Bible said they spoke the word of God with boldness. In Acts 6 and 2, that we should not leave the word of God. In verse numbers, uh, chapter 6 and verse number 7, he said the word of God increased. In chapter 8 and verse number 14, the Bible said the Samaritans received the word of God. In Acts chapter number 11 and verse number 1, the Gentiles received the word of God. In Acts chapter number 12 and verse number 24, the Bible said the word of God grew and it multiplied. In Acts 13 and verse number 5, the Bible said they preached the word of God. And these are the things that missionaries do on the mission field. And in Acts 13 and 7 and 44, the Bible said, and they desired to hear the word of God preached. In Acts 13 and 20, uh, verse number 46, pardon me, the Bible said the word of God was necessary. In Acts 17 and verse number 13, the Bible said that they had knowledge of the word of God. In the book of Acts chapter number 10 and verse number 11, the Bible said that they taught the word of God. And in Acts 19 and verse number 20, the Bible said that the word of God grew mightily and God had his hand upon the people and the work of the ministry of world missions and evangelization. And so I say tonight that the Bible is ministry in missions is the message, the tool, the greatest tool that God's put in the missionary's hand to do the work of evangelism and reaching lost sinners with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the word of God was necessary. Now let me give you three very brief thoughts tonight and I'll cut through some of the chase and get right into our text. I want you to know the Bible tonight is the authority for world missions and evangelization. Notice, if you would, please, uh, in the Scripture, and I'll not take the time to read it all again in its entirety, but in Acts 19 and verse number 20, the Bible said, So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. And I'm glad tonight that we hold in our hand and in our lap 
a divine, inspired, preserved, and errant copy of God's eternal word. And this Bible tonight is perfect. And I believe tonight with all of my heart that if a missionary is going to be effective on the mission field, if an evangelist is going to be effective in the pulpit, or a pastor in the church, or anyone that is willing to serve God, they must have an inspired, preserved, divine a copy of God's divine book, the Bible. For it is the authority for world missions and evangelization. The Bible tells us in the book of uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And I'm grateful tonight that in the Bible is recorded the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And it is through this book, the Bible, God's divine book, that the missionary mounts the pulpit, mounts the places around the world, whether it's in Turkey or other places that we've heard tonight, and they stand and preach the word of God it is not our power but is the authority and the power of God's divine book tonight that gets the job done I remember years ago when Dr. Ed Blue who founded the Rock of Ages ministry I was in a particular prison and um, the wind was blowing they were not able to go in those days back on the death row facilities and uh, the door would open and prisoners would move into the rotunda and go to their designated places and cell blocks and so forth in the prison. And, uh, but when the officers and the staff and the warden said, you can't enter into the death row unit, God can still get the gospel where God wants the gospel to go. And as the door would open, the wind would push that track uh, that an inmate had thrown on the yard that didn't want to read it. And God pushed it back through the cell blocks, and it ended up in the death row unit. And a prisoner sitting in his cell saw a little piece of paper slip under the edge of his door. And he took his finger and fished the little track from underneath the door. And he began to read it. It was back in the days when everything was black and white in the printing. In fact, I remember the story was told. I was not with the ministry at that time. A church over in uh, Churchill, Tennessee had donated a press to Rock of Ages. And Brother Blue told him by his own testimony, he said, we don't need a printing press. We don't even print gospel tracts. And the preacher said, well, God must want you to start one because he told me to give you a press. And Brother Blue said, well, I guess if God told you to give me a press, he must want me to start printing. And I remember Brother Blue giving the testimony. He said the first year we printed 10,000 gospel tracts. He said we painted the walls with ink. We painted the floor and stained it with ink. He said, but praise God, we came out with 10,000 gospel tracts. And he said, I said to the group, he said, hallelujah, glory to God. We're ready to reach the world now. We've got 10,000 tracts. And they pass out those tracts in that cell block or out on the yard and God pushed that track back into the death row unit. And that prisoner reached with his finger and fished that track underneath the door and began to read it. And he wrote Brother Blue a letter the next day. And it went to the ministry and he told Brother Blue, said, you guys weren't allowed back here on death row. But God knew that I needed the gospel. And God caused the wind to blow that day. And every time the door was open, it pushed that track deeper down in the prison. And he said, I looked up in that little paper. I slid under the edge of my door. I fished it out with my hands. He said, I just want you to know. I bowed my knees. I bowed my heart. And I trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm telling you, there is power. There is authority in the divine, preserved inspired word of God tonight. Thank God for the Bible. It is a missionary's authority. 
in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 15 and verse number 16. And from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures that are able to make thee wise unto salvation. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, and we're all that are preachers have been saved in any length of time are familiar with this passage of Scripture. And the Bible declares that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Aren't you glad we hold in our hand tonight and in our laps a word from God that is profitable for the ministry, that is profitable for the individual life, that is profitable for the preacher and the missionary to take it to the foreign field, that is profitable to print one million or right at one million nine hundred thousand John and Romans to saturate the mission fields of the world. The authority of God's divine book. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except he be sent? Thank God. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel and bring glad tidings of peace. Thank God for the authority in the Bible. And if you take the Bible out of the hand of the missionary, the missionary has no message, no authority, and no power in his ministry. It is inspired. Thank God it's inspired. Well, I said it'd be a minute. I shouldn't have had so much liberty. I might park for a minute. The word inspiration, it has to do with God speaking the words of the Bible. You've heard me say it before. The Bible says in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And what it literally means is the Bible came from the very voice or the breath of God. And as God spoke the words to his prophet, he infused his life, his breath into the words. The ink and the pages and the paper cannot be alive. But the words are alive because they're infused with the breath of Almighty God. And everywhere there's the breath of God, there's life. He took a clump of clay, breathed into man's nostrils, and man became a living soul. I'm just saying tonight, thank God for the Bible. It's our authority. The Bible gives us three stern warnings in the Scriptures. Moses gave us a stern warning in Deuteronomy 4 and 2. And Deuteronomy 12 and verse number 32 about the Word of God and changing it. Why? Because when you change the Bible, it pulls away from the glory of God, of man's glory toward God. It pulls away and dilutes the authority and the impact of the Bible, the Word of God. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live in Proverbs 35 and 6, also gave a warning. And then, of course, John in Revelation 22, 18 and 19 gave a stern warning about adding or taking away from the Word of God. Why? Because the Bible is our authority. The Bible are to those, uh, there are those that discount the Bible. There are many theologians today that don't believe any of the Bible is inspired. And then there are the, what they consider themselves to be moderate. And they say that only about 3 to 5% of the Bible is uninspired, but the other 95 to 97% or so is inspired, preserved. It's the Word of God. But I ask you tonight, if it's 3 or 5% of the Bible that was not inspired, which part of the Bible is uninspired? Was it John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed him should not perish but have everlasting life? Was it the passage of scripture in John 
uh, uh, 10, uh, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pray tell me tonight if there is one jot, one tittle, one verse, one chapter, one paragraph of the Bible that is uninspired. Tell me tonight which one is uninspired. There is none. The Bible says in Psalm 11 and verse number 3, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's been about a year or so ago, there was supposedly a revival that broke out in a neighboring state over in Kentucky. And someone asked me about it. We was in a meeting, and I didn't say anything. I just passed it by. But the more I thought about it, the more it burned in my crawl. And when I stood up, I let them know exactly where I stood. I said, I don't believe true, genuine, God-sent Holy Ghost revival was anywhere within a country mile of that meeting. And they said, how could you say that with such authority? And I'll tell you three reasons. I wrote it in the flyleaf of my Bible. One is because it was founded on a corrupt text. And I don't believe that God blesses meetings that are taken from a corrupt text. Secondly, it was from a contemporary music position. Now you can say what you will tonight, but I'm old-fashioned when it comes to the music. I believe that the Bible is very clear concerning the standard of music, our praise and our worship. And I don't believe God was in a mile because it was founded on a corrupt tax. I had one of missionaries some years ago was going to start a church in an area. And they came and said, Brother Ellis, because we have a philosophy and I'm, I'm thankful for all the mission boards that are here that are starting churches in different areas. And God knows there are some areas that need another independent fundamental Baptist church. There are some in the area by name but not by practice. I, they came to him and said, Brother Ellison, we won't start a church where there's already a solid independent fundamental Baptist. We just don't. Now, we're not against it. It's just not what we do. And uh, so they said, well, Brother Ellis, there is a church there that goes by the name independent fundamental. And I said, but go check it out and, and check with them. They were getting ready to take Baptist off the name. And um, they had changed to the ESV, English Standard Version. I'm on missions tonight. Don't worry. Stay with me. I know where I'm going. And so they came back and said, well, Brother Ellis, their doctrine's right. They've just changed the scripture. I said, no, sir. If they've got a, you cannot have a corrupt text and correct doctrine. You cannot have correct, uh, corrupt text and correct doctrine. They don't match. I said, you go back. You sit down with the preacher. You interview him. You go line upon line, precept upon precept. He came back. He said, you're absolutely right. And he mentioned two or three things that that church was off on. They established a work, doing a phenomenal job. God's blessing in a wonderful way. I'm just simply saying tonight, thank God we have a Bible. And the Bible's God's divine book. It is our authority in our ministry as well as on the mission field. You say, how do you know? Because Paul wrote it concerning the scriptures. Uh, he was involved in the ministry at least and the Holy Spirit of God said they wanted the word of God to be preached. And then we find that it was also from a conglomeration of, of um, ecumenicalism. Now, you can stand where you want, but I don't believe in it. I believe that uh, we are independent fundamental Baptists. Somebody asked Dr. B.R. Lincoln one year. He said, Dr. Lincoln, what would you be if it wasn't a Baptist? And he didn't even blink an eye about an uh, eye. He said, I'd be ashamed of myself. That's what I'd be. Now, I'm not saying I think Baptists are the only ones going to heaven. I didn't say that. In fact, when I went to Wyoming, there was 22 independent fundamental Baptist churches. I preached in 20 of them and wish I hadn't preached in about 11 of them. You'll get that. I'm like an evangelist friend of mine. There are some churches I've been to two times in one visit, first time and the last time. 
The Bible's inspired. It's the Word of God. It's pretty bad when your children who are four and five years old, you go into a service and uh, you get up to present your ministry and preach. And then when you get out and you get into the car, your four and five-year-old kids say, we need to go home half church after that. And you got people in halter tops and everything else. You don't know before you get there in the choir singing and things that are taking place. And so we find in the scripture that the Bible is inspired, it's preserved. Inspiration and preservation is the supernatural act of God. 413 times we find in the Bible the expression, thus saith the Lord. 235 times in the Bible it declares itself to be the word of the Lord. 48 times the Bible declares itself as the word of God. Eight times speaking of its contents, the Bible says, the spirit saith. And it's inspiration that sets the Bible apart from all other religious books. The Quran is preserved. There's documents, I've been to the Smithsonian Institute, and there are documents of our founding fathers that are preserved in the Smithsonian Institute. And our Bible's preserved. I believe that with all of my heart. But you know what sets the Bible apart from all the other founding documents of our nation? From the Quran and all other religious books and isms and schisms? I'll tell you what it is tonight. It's inspiration. It's the breath of God. It is the fact that this Bible, it is alive. And it is the authority of us tonight. And God's people. Thank God for our Bible and the scriptures tonight. Preservation. Thank God for it. But it is the inspiration. And preservation is accurate. Somebody says, well, don't you know you don't have anything but a copy? Well, and somebody says, what about the originals? Well, if you ever find them, you let me know. But I believe, and we find it in Barak in the Old Testament, and the Bible said that they took the scriptures, they were burned in the fire, they came back, and they recopied it word for word, and that second copy was just as original as the first. And I'm glad that tonight, while this may not be the original text, thank God it is a perfect copy of the original text. It is a copy of God's divine book, inspired, and it's preserved. That's what it means by preservation. I believe every jot, every tittle, every paragraph, everything. Somebody says, well, don't you know that man divided the verses and chapters and paragraphs in the Bible? I sure do, but I believe it's inspired of God. I believe that the Bible is a divine inspired word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And the word quick, it carries with it the thought of life. I just looked at the clock and it ain't moved a bit. Somebody said that the other day. I didn't even notice that until just now. Thank God the word quick means to be made alive. It speaks of life. I'm glad that the King James Bible, just to make myself clear tonight, it is alive. It is a living book. It's the Word of God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God. Now watch this. Which liveth and abideth forever. I told you this Bible is a living book. The second, one of the secretaries at the Rock of Ages Ministries was overseas in Europe, didn't like Americans, hated American soldiers, didn't like America at all. And uh, somebody came by one day and gave her a gospel track. Because it came from an American, she didn't want anything to do with it. But she threw it on the counter. And uh, one day she walked by and seen it, picked it up and started reading it. And without a preacher, without a missionary, without a pastor, uh, she got under Holy Ghost conviction. Bowed her head in her heart, trusted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. Why, preacher? The Bible is alive! It's a living book tonight. I used to think somebody preached the Bible that was lost and find out later they were lost and got saved and gave their life to the Lord. There's no way people got saved under the ministry. And then 
I began to realize it's not the preacher that does the saving. It's the word of God. And if God can use a rooster, and if God can use a donkey, if God can use some that he did in the Bible, I believe God could use somebody to get the gospel out that they'd be saved and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Both the Lord Jesus and the Bible are referred to as being alive. Historically, there's never been a book hated more than the Bible. It's been ridiculed, hated, suffered burnings, attempts to annihilate it, presidents, rulers, and vile, corrupt barbarians. But the Bible gives us a divine promise in Matthew 25, 30, 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Don't you praise God tonight for the fact that we have a preserved copy of the Bible. The Bible, it's the mightiest tool in the missionary's book. When I became the chaplain at the Wyoming State Penitentiary, a missionary chaplain, we went in for our service, first service. I won't take the time to bore you the details tonight. They'd had several chaplains that had come in, state-paid chaplains. And so I went in on a temporary basis initially, and uh, later the warden would offer us a position, and I would turn it down, then he asked us to stay as a missionary. But I went into my first service among the prisoners. And one prisoner raised his hand. He said, chaplain? I said, yes, sir. He said, would you lead a particular song this morning? I said, it depends. Now, I'm not a singer. If you've heard me sing, you know that that's the truth. And if you hadn't heard me sing, you don't want to hear me sing. I'm telling you the truth. And he said, um, I want to sing a song. I said, well, what song are you talking about? He said, blowing in the wind. I said, blowing what? He said, blowing in the wind. I said, I don't believe I've ever seen that in a hymn book. He said, oh, it's not in a hymn book. I said, well, then where is it? I only sing out of hymn books. He said, it's a Bob Dylan song. I said, a Bob who? He said, a Bob Dylan. I said, you talking about the old gunslinger? Dylan? He said, no. He said, I'm talking about a blowing in the wind. It's a secular song talking about the wind and it's peaceful and quiet. I said, fella, I don't know what the chaplain's been doing, but I can tell you right now. When you come to my service, we're not singing blowing in the wind. We're not singing Bob Dylan. We're not singing anybody else. We're singing from the hymn book and we're preaching the Bible and you better get ready for the Bible. And I preached that morning. He got under conviction and glory to God, he came forward and bowed on his knees and trusted Christ as his Savior. The Bible, it's our authority. A lady in Uganda, and I'm going to close, honestly, I'm trying to get Went to Uganda first trip years ago, and we're passing out uh, Bibles. Went into one prison, and the officers' families lived in the prison compound, not with the prisoners, but in the compound. One officer said, uh, would you guys go back and give a Bible to my wife and my children? He told us where their little hut was, a little mud hut with a thatched roof and dirt floors. As we walked up, some, several kids were standing outside the little makeshift door. They started screaming at the top of their lungs, Mazunga, Mazunga. And they took off running for the bush. We didn't know what that meant, but it meant white man. They'd never seen a white man before. It literally scared them to death. We got scared when we seen them screaming and running because we thought there was a snake or something around. And so finally one of them went inside, and when they opened that little makeshift door, on the back side of that mud hut with a thatched roof, Little skinny frail lady bowed on her knees, clasped her hands together, and began to bow, almost to do curtsy. And she started walking on her knees to the door. She said, oh, missionaries, missionaries, thank you 
for bringing the Bible to my people. I wanted to get on my knees and I wanted to say thank you for allowing us to bring the Bible to your people. There are people who have never had so much as one verse of the Bible in their hand and it's the authority of the missionary's tool. Then quickly tonight, it is applicable to all cultures. I quoted earlier, the Bible said the Samaritans and the Gentiles received the word of God. It crossed over cultural boundaries. And of course the Jews and there were many others in the Bible uh, that received the word of God. All missionaries may adopt or conform in some areas or some cultures in the area. I understand that. I certainly have no problem with that. But I want to say something tonight. While we may change our, not standards as in dress and convictions, but while we may change some of our culture to adapt to their culture to relate to them, this Bible crosses all cultural boundaries. And God's got a perfect book. It doesn't have to be changed to fit the culture of the people. I remember when I was in Wyoming, I preached several meetings, tent meetings and camp meetings and stuff on the Wind River Reservation. And I remember the first time I preached for Brother Joe Copley at the Rappahoe Baptist Church. And um, he took us over to the Catholic Church. He said, I want you to see something. We walked inside the Catholic Church and there was a statue of Mary what they would consider the Virgin Mary. And she had a papoose. And inside that papoose was the baby Jesus. They had tried to take their Catholicism and intermingle it with the Bible and the culture and change the culture of the Bible. May I say to you, my friend, we don't have to change the Bible to fit into the culture of other people. The Bible will change their culture to meet the culture of the Bible. It crosses all boundaries. I remember in the prison, they had the sweat lodges and um, not get into all the details. They almost got in a fight and because they were from different tribes and some thought the entrance needed to be the east, others from the north, south, or west, and so forth. And uh, so they finally compromised, and one month they'd have the entrance way to the north, the next side uh, time to the east, and then the west and south, and they'd rotate it all the way through, one month at a time. You're talking about compromising. And I don't even have time to get into it. They would get in and they'd begin to chant, and uh, some of the stuff, if I told you the things that I've heard that transpire inside of those sweat lodges. Probably most of you wouldn't believe me tonight. But it was demonic. It was devilish. And on some of the reservations, they would try to water down the Bible and fit it into their culture to fit it in with their gods and their forefathers. And my friend, may I say to you tonight, this Bible stands alone. There is no book that compares to this book. There's no God that compares to the God of this book. There's no gospel that compares to the gospel of this book. There's no salvation that compares to the salvation of this book. There's nothing tonight outside the authority of God's divine book that will permanently change your life. I am trying to get through tonight. The Bible is applicable in all cultures. Let me give you two or three things and I'll give you my last thought. One, it has a universal theme. You don't have to worry about changing uh, the religions to fit the culture. There's one universal theme in the entire Bible. 
You say, preacher, what is it? Salvation. From cover to cover, it is dealing with the salvation of sinners and the deliverance of God's people and sinners from the snares of the devil. And the Bible has one culture and one theme that rings over the restless waves. Sin the light. Sin the light. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad I was a whosoever. And I'm glad that I'm one of those whosoever's that called upon him. And I was converted to him. Secondly, it's truths never change. It doesn't matter what the culture is or what the doctrine is or what the ways are, heathenistic, barbaric, or religious. The Bible's culture never changes. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 and verse number 8, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. The truth never changed. It's never diluted. Man may dilute it. Man may try to do away with it. But the Bible never changes. In Psalm 1989, one of the first verses I learned when I was converted to Christ. Forever, Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Then thirdly, human nature. Human nature never changes. And the Bible declares that. In Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And the Bible says in verse number 11, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. And the Bible, it never changes. The Bible declares that all men are sinners. And so by confidence and faith and with authority and assurance from the divine book, the missionary can go to the mission field, barbaric or religious, and say, Thus saith the Lord, you need to get right with God and turn from your sin and trust Him as your Savior. The power is in the gospel of Christ. I could keep you here tonight for hours telling you, the transformation we've seen in men's lives. I remember, and I'll give you one, then I'll give you my last thought. I remember preaching at the Washington State Penitentiary many years ago. It was a very hard prison. In fact, it was one of the bloodiest prisons in America at that time. And I remember one night I preached, and I preached on the subject matter of repentance and reconciliation. And I remember... The altars were full and all of our revival teams were busy dealing with multiple men that had come forward that night. One gentleman was just over to the right all by himself and he was sobbing profusely. And so I turned the invitation over to one of our men and I went over and personally put my arms on. I said, sir, it's obvious tonight that something's went on in your life. Is there something I can help you with? He said, no, not really, preacher. Because I know what I've got to do. He said, I'm going to tell you what I'm in here for. I said, listen, that's your business, none of mine. He said, no, I'm going to tell you. He said, I'm in and doing a life sentence without parole for murder. He said, I have a friend of mine that he's doing three life sentences. But he didn't get a full sentence thrown at him. He said, I turned evidence against him. But he said, I'm going to be honest with you, preacher. He didn't pull the trigger. I did. He said, I need to confess and get it right. I need to make reconciliation. I said, sir, it's good that you would confess your sin." But your sin and your crime, you cannot reconcile. 
You cannot bring them back to life. But you should, can sure get it right with God and man. I advised him to go speak to the chaplain and the warden of the facilities. Long story short, he had murdered, I believe if I remember right, two people in the state of Arizona that was unaccounted for. They never found the bodies. He said, preacher, I murdered them. With my hands, I took their life. He said, and I can't live with myself. I've got to get it right. They transferred him to the state of Arizona. He confessed his crimes. He led them to the bodies. They, he stood before the judge. And I used to have a paper clipping. I'm not sure if I still have it in the files. But the judge, when he stood before him, the judge began to weep. He said, sir, I've been on this bench for 30-something years, whatever it was. He said, I've had a lot of people come across my bench that said, your honor, I'm a Christian trying to get a light sentence. He said, but you've come in, you've confessed to your crime, you've, you've taken us to the bodies, and he said, you have asked for the death penalty or whatever the jury comes up with. And he said, I want to say to you, sir, after all of these years, I believe you are the first real Christian I've ever met in all these years. You know what changed his life? The Bible. The Bible. Then, Ms. Sheila, if you want to come to the piano for just a moment, I'll close. It is the missionary's abundant resource. Believe it or not, missionaries get discouraged along the way, just the same as you or anyone else. David encouraged himself in the Lord, though. Elijah said to the Lord, it's enough. Jonah, he didn't like his assignment that God gave him. Peter he decided he was going fishing, going back to his old occupation. He had had enough. But we find that the Bible was an abundant resource for encouragement. The Bible is full of promises. The Bible tells us of Asa in 2 Chronicles 15, 7 through 8. I spoke on it this morning, and when Asa heard the, these words talking about the promise that God had given to him that he would reward his work. And when Asa heard these words, the Bible said he was encouraged within himself to clap hold of the promises of Almighty God. And two things followed. One, he got encouraged. Secondly, he put away the abominable things and idols. And thirdly, he renewed the altar. Can I just say to you tonight, the Bible has a great impact on world missions and evangelization. It's all the way through the book of Acts. Read it. It's there. I only gave you 13 at the beginning. Now there's a little song tonight that I'd like to just have, if you would, tonight with the sound, just start it off and then we'll do a regular song. It's a little Sunday school song. It's a song that kids sing. And the kids ought to be able to really sing it. It's a simple song. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I wonder tonight if we'd be willing to just bring our Bibles to the altar and lay them in front of us and say, God, tonight, I thank you for my Bible. Let's stand and sing.